Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Let's look at verse 8 again. It says, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. And when you think of the church of Smyrna, this persecuted church, this description that Jesus is offering of himself is encouraging because he is the first and the last. He knows the beginning from the end. He's aware of their plight. He's aware of their persecution. He's very much aware of what they're going through. Today on Truth in Christ, our scripture says, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. Welcome to our Bible study for today. Jesus chose this title from his initial appearance to John to speak of his eternal character, who was dead and came to life, adds to the title Jesus chose to remind the Christians in Smyrna that they served the risen Lord victorious over death. Death could not hold Jesus, and it cannot hold his people. Now let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, starting in verse 8, and follow along with Pastor Rob. Let's go ahead and get into Revelation. We haven't been in Revelation in a couple of weeks uh, because of uh, Good Friday and certainly Sunday, uh, Easter Sunday. You'll remember that Jesus, this book of Revelation is about Jesus. It's, it's an unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's an unveiling not only of him himself, but also his plans for the future. And so we see in the first chapter, specifically verses 12 through 16, we see this wonderful uh, description of Jesus in his glorified state. Remember that after he was crucified, on the third day he rose again, And the Bible says that he was visible to hundreds of people for 40 days, for 40 days, and uh, in his resurrection body. And then on on that 40th day, or after 40 days, he ascended from the Mount of Olives, which is just opposite the Temple Mount today. He ascended into heaven at that point, and the Bible says he's going to return to that very same spot when he returns in his second coming. And so that's really exciting. But this book is about Jesus Christ, an unveiling, taking off the wraps, if you will, of Jesus Christ. The last Sunday we got together, we looked at the church of Ephesus. We know that there were seven different churches here in chapters 2 and 3, which is what we're looking at for the next couple of weeks, or next several weeks, probably for the next month or two. We'll be looking at these seven churches. 
Last time we got together, we looked at the church of Ephesus, but this morning we're going to be looking at the church of Smyrna, and then we're going to hear about Pergamos and the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, the church of Philadelphia, and certainly the church of Laodicea. And we'll be mindful that these churches, uh, not only physical churches at this time, uh, but they were um, the representative of all the church age. If we look at these seven churches that you see on the, on the screen, you'll notice that they, they, they were physical churches at that time in the first century. And they also just happened to be representative of all the church age. Because as we look at each one of these churches, you'll notice the, the commendations and the rebuke that Jesus gave to these churches. And remember, these letters in chapters 2 and 3 were letters that Jesus wrote to these churches, these specific churches. And they were commendations, good things. And there were also some things of rebuke where the Lord would, would tell them that you know they need to uh, uh, shapen up, in a sense, in some of these different areas. But when you look at all of these together, we see really the whole church age. Because in every church, you'll find those who are losing their, their first love. You'll find some that are doing really well. You'll find some fellowships that are just filled with love and, and everything is just going really well. And so we see a composite out of all these letters that Jesus is dictating. We see ourselves in those letters. And, and so... That's what we want to look at. We want to look at the historical perspective of what happened to these churches and also examine our own hearts as we go through these letters to see, Lord, where do I, where do I stack up you know, from these things? And so that's what we're going to do. And so let's look at this letter. We know that on the, if you notice there on the map, there is uh, Ephesus, you can see is right down there, right above Miletus, uh, just north north of that. But the one that we're going to, the church that we're going to look at this morning is Smyrna, which is about 35 to 40 miles north of Ephesus. And this was a rival city, a uh, rival because they both were, were very beautiful cities. They were very commercial cities, and um, they, they, were in, they were rivals of one another. And so you can see that this is Asia Minor. Uh, we call this area now Turkey, and specifically Western Turkey. One of the things about this city of Smyrna is that, like Ephesus, it was a seaport, and as a result of that, it was a, a trading center. And uh, unlike Ephesus, it, it is still inhabited. You remember that Ephesus was a city that was, uh, even today, is, has been, uh, it's, it lies in ruins. There's really nothing uh, there in Ephesus, but Smyrna is inhabited by over 3 million people today, and its harbor is even better than that of Ephesus. Today, the modern day is Izmir, and that's the Turkish name that it's given. This city was celebrated for its schools, it had uh, schools of science, medicine. It was known for its beautiful buildings. We know that there, they had a theater there that could accommodate 20,000 people. And in Smyrna, there was, in, around 26 AD, the, the, the people of Smyrna, in order to deify Tiberius Caesar, he, they asked for permission to build a, uh, a temple in honor of Tiberius Caesar and in a sense worshiping him 
And they had to ask for permission. And what a nice guy. He was so willing to let them do that. And so, uh, so it was a temple for Tiberius Caesar. It also had a temple of Zeus, a temple of Diana, a temple to Aphrodite, a temple to Apollo, and a temple to Asclepius, which you know is the, is the god of healing and medicine. And you'll notice that even in our, um, on most medicines, uh, or on uh, pharmacies, you'll see the post with the snake wrapped around it. That is Asclepius. That is the Roman god Asclepius. And, and so that's where they get that from, is from the Roman god Asclepius. And so it also had a stadium, and it was actually at the stadium that one of the early church fathers, his name was Polycarp, he was martyred in this theater around 155 A.D., and so, uh, an interesting place. And so, let's just get right into it. Let's read uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, and then we'll get right into it. It says, And to the angel, or to the messenger, to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, these things, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. But be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. By the second death. And so let's go back to verse 8 here. It says, The angel to the church at Smyrna. We know that this angel uh, could be referring to Polycarp. It could be another man there at the church in Smyrna. Remember, the church was uh, a, a, a church there amongst the others, amongst the other pagan Gentiles that were around there. So they were just in the center of really a, a den of iniquity, really. And, and yet God was so impressed by their, by their love and by their, their fortitude. And even though they were very poor, they continued onward. And, and the Lord was with them, even though they had nothing. And he, even though they were being persecuted, and God was with them. And so it could have been Polycarp that he was talking about. Polycarp was actually burned at the stake in Smyrna, like I said before, in 155 A.D. Uh, the Jews and the Romans were both complicit in, in setting, uh, burning him at the stake. And tradition tells us that the fires weren't consuming him like they wanted, and so they actually stabbed him to death uh, to hasten his death. And so a uh, pretty brutal way to lose your life, but we know that he is in glory right now, and um, he has nothing to worry about. But notice, to the angel of Smyrna, write these things, says the first and the last. So he's writing to Smyrna, and due to the persecution and death that many of those in the church experienced in Smyrna, the city's name, the very name of the city was was somewhat prophetic of of the um, concerning what the church's experience was going to be there. And why do I say that? Because the, the very name Smyrna means myrrh. And myrrh is an ordinary perfume. It's a, a fragrant um, gum resin 
from certain trees there in that area. And it's very popular. And, and the, the very word had the idea of worship and, and suffering and sacrifice and, uh, and connected with death. Um, in fact, myrrh was a main ingredient in the holy anointing oil for the tabernacle. Remember when Aaron and his sons, they were the high priests, and the priests in the temple and in the tabernacle, they were to anoint those articles in the temple, including their, their own selves, with this holy anointing oil. And it says in Exodus chapter 30, uh, if you want, open your Bibles to Exodus 30, just to kind of give you an idea of, of this, because we'll de- be developing this as we go. Because again, it speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of suffering. Myrrh speaks of death. And we're going to see that those things in the temple were certainly there as an offering to the Lord. And we'll see that even the elements of the temple and the tabernacle were anointed with this oil. So Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 22, this is what it says, Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, and notice the ingredients of this, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, and 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, and 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil, and you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compound, according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And it'll go, th- go on into that chapter and talk about how they would use this. This myrrh was one of the major elements of this. And they would use it to anoint the utensils, the, the altar where the sacrifice would be. Hence the name, uh, you know, myrrh. It speaks of death. It speaks of sacrifice. It speaks of worship. And so those things would be anointed along with the priests themselves. And, and it was something that they weren't to be using on anything else but for those purposes. And we see myrrh also in Matthew chapter 2. If you remember when the three, actually they weren't three. <laughs> uh, they were, we don't know how many wise men there were. The Bible doesn't say. We assume that it's three because of the gifts they gave. But remember, when Jesus was just under two years old, those wise men, those magi from the east, they came. And in Matthew 2.11 it says, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts. And here were the gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And again, when we think about these gifts, uh, that these men had given to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they were really prophetic in themselves because gold spake of his kingly quality, of his, of his heavenly origin. And the frankincense and the myrrh certainly spoke of, and uh, whether they knew it or not, was prophesying of his death about 30 years from then. And so we see this myrrh being used for, for gifts. And we also know that even during the crucifixion, In Mark chapter 15, verse 22, it says that when they laid Jesus down on the ground uh, to to nail him to the beam, it says they brought to him into the to the place of Golgotha, which is translated the place of a skull. We were just there a few weeks ago, and it's still there to this day. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, uh, but he did not take it. And one of the things that the ancients used to do is they used to use uh, myrrh to embalm the dead. Um, the Jews didn't embalm, and they certainly didn't uh, mummify like the Egyptians did, but they would wash the body, 
and they would wrap it in spices, including myrrhs and aloes, and they'd wrap it in, in cloths like they did Jesus. And so we can even see that in John chapter 19. Remember, after his death, after um, he gave up the ghost, the Bible says that after this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a Pharisee, he was also a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. He asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, notice, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds, a hundred pounds of this ointment, including myrrh, because it was meant to, uh, uh, the spices were meant to be packed in among the wraps so that Jesus' body would be preserved and it would keep out the, the smell as his body began to decay. But we know that he didn't decay, did he? Because three days later he was he rose again from the grave. But it says, Then they took the body and they bound it in strips of linen with the spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. So, let's look at verse 8 again. It says, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. And when you think of the church of Smyrna, this persecuted church, this description that Jesus is offering of himself is encouraging because he is the first and the last. He knows the beginning from the end. He's aware of their plight. He's aware of their persecution. He's very much aware of what they're going through. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14. It says, Paul writing to the Hebrews, the Jews, he said, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So Jesus was very much aware, and because he is the first and the last, that he was, this church was in very good hands. Jesus was very sympathetic. He understood what they were going through. Because he, he went through it all. In Jesus' short life, he experienced what no man has ever experienced. He, he experienced the things that no one has experienced. So when anybody comes to him, perhaps yourself today, as you're, maybe you're worried, maybe you're heartbroken, maybe you're struggling with fear, maybe you've got an addiction of some kind, you can come to the Lord and you don't have to be ashamed to come to him. And ask him for help. You don't have, you don't have to be, feel ashamed of even confessing to him. You can come to him, and you can give him. You can tell him everything, and and that's just who God is. See, if your God is this God that's so far off that he, he 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 could care less about you, if that's your impression of who God is, your impression is wrong, because God is Emmanuel, right? What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So if he's God with us, why would he allow us to flounder? Why would he why would he permit us to flounder? And especially when we come to him, like a father receives his child. Isn't our heavenly father, isn't he like that? He is. The Bible's replete with examples of that, of his compassion, of his kindness. And so notice that Jesus says of himself that he was dead and he came back to life. This could also be an encouragement to them because they were facing persecution, even unto the death, again, by the Jews and the Romans of that city and of that time. And because Jesus came to life, they didn't need to fear knowing that they would live again, that their physical death wasn't the end. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and in fact, the, another portion of the Scripture says that unless the Spirit of God is in you, you are not a Christian. You are, you are not of Christ. You are not, you're none of His if the Spirit of God does not indwell in you. But he says, But the, if, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. See, that's what being born again is all about. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. Because I, there were times when I was younger uh, that I, I, I believed in God, but I didn't have the Spirit of God in me. I have, hadn't yet given over my heart to Him. And I certainly didn't have the Spirit of God in me. Um, but that didn't happen until I was 24. And I remember that day very well. But notice what it says in Psalm 116, verse 15. Let me just read it to you. This verse sounds kind of strange, but the Lord says through the the psalmist, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. And and certainly the Lord doesn't look upon people who die, especially His own people, and is excited. The only reason it's precious to Him is because He knows that their journey is over. All of their toil, all of their pain and discouragement that they've experienced in this life has come to an end. We just uh, had a gravesite service for a dear sister that we, we've known for years, Charlotte Jackson, and she, was, she just turned 97, I believe, just a few days ago. But she, uh, she passed away and is with the Lord now just a few days before her 97th birthday. But she has had a, a long life, and now she's with the Lord, and we're so very thankful for that. Um, let's see. Notice in verse 9, back in our text this morning, Jesus says to this church, I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Notice this work, uh, this word works literally means toil and labor. Have you toiled and labor as a Christian? Uh, Because really that's the only work that God is going to uh, remember and that he's going to uh, bless you as a result is what we have done while we have been a Christian. See, all my works that I do apart from Christ are going to be burned up, the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe, verse 10, it talks about the, the Bema Seat judgment of believers, not a judgment of salvation or lack thereof, but a, really a, a, a place where we're, we earn rewards for what we have done since we've been a Christian, and everything else is going to be burned away. So there's nothing of my old life, there's nothing of my old deeds that I've done, even though they may have been good, not, none of that is going to survive. There's going to be nothing but only those things that... Uh, that God has empowered us through the Spirit of God since we've been a Christian. So in, in 1 Corinthians 15, notice it says, Paul encouraging the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And to me that's encouraging, because as Jesus was encouraging this church, and he said, I know your works, I know the things that you've been doing, I know how you've toiled, I know how you've suffered, and it is not in vain. It is never in vain to serve the Lord. In fact, it's the greatest joy of, of our lives. It's the greatest joy of my life to serve the Lord. I can't imagine doing anything else. I wouldn't want to do anything else at this point. Uh, he's got my life. He's got my heart. And Lord, you can do with it whatever you wish. Does that frighten you? Uh, hopefully, most of us who are listening, hopefully we're all in a place where we're, we feel the same way. Uh, because as a Christian, you ought to. 
you ought to, because if he we've been bought with a price, he owns us in a sense, and and he's not going to do anything that that you're not going to desire. It, the wonderful thing is the Bible says that he causes us first to will, and then to do of his good pleasure. So whatever he's got going in your life, whatever he's going to do in your life, whatever he's doing in your life. There's going to come a point where you're going to be like really excited about what he's doing and and it won't be like a tug of war. You're not going to be like I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.